Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 175 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, Keve Aluma declares for the NBA draft, but has an option to return. We'll get the thoughts of Will and Chris on that decision, what it means for the team moving forward. Plus, Coach Mike Young adds a seven-foot center, Michael Durr from South Florida, who's immediately eligible. We'll talk about the impact of what the rotation will look like next year for Tech men's basketball. But the majority of the show will be spent talking about Virginia Tech football as we continue to preview positions going into the 2021 season. Today, we preview the offensive and defensive lines, plus the newest commitment of the 2022 class in quarterback Alex Orgy from just outside of Dallas, Texas. All that and more straight ahead. Episode 175 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Get started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on the following platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, we're so glad that you could join us as we record on Monday morning, April 12th. Our crew today, as always, to my left on the podcast set, our managing editor at Tech Sideline, Chris Coleman. Across the way, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. Behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Great to have all of you with us. Looking forward to getting through what is a jam-packed show today. Well, we have a new feature for those that are watching on the podcast today because we're really trying to get those likes for people to like on the watching and to subscribe. (laughs) So what should people do right now if they're watching? People should like and they should subscribe. And if you're watching, you're seeing a pretty cool animation, right, Malcolm? Nice. Yeah. Good. Malcolm. See? Nice. See, he really is the best producer in the land. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he does it all. And that's a that's a nice little addition. That and we be have. sure no, to no. comment. Oh, he called me last night. Yes. And, and also comment. Um, he called me last night and told me he put together that animation. And I'm like, see, that's good. Because when you were first doing the podcast, you were kind of innovating. And I feel like you've been resting on your laurels lately. <laughs> so it's nice to see you, you know, thinking and, and pushing the envelope. Um, he uh, He's working after hours on a Sunday. In college. I just want to put that out there. I mean, the the grind doesn't stop. Uh, Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by Campus Emporium, Southeast Regional Training Center. Go to southeastrtc.com today to find out how you can get involved with Virginia Tech wrestling. Quickly, did you guys see the big news last week that Corbin Myers is returning for another year next year? You know, that doesn't surprise me. Just from the way he was talking about he missed, uh, not this past season, but the one before with injury. And uh, and he did a little uh, deer wrestling thing. They were running these deer wrestling things during uh, 
the NCAA championships where they had wrestlers from around the country kind of write a letter to the sport of wrestling. And his letter was basically, um, when I was out, I really missed it. You know, and that's not true of all athletes. Some athletes, when at, when you do what I call taking them off the treadmill, mm-hmm. when you take them out of the grind, they're like, I don't want to go back. And some are the opposite. He was the opposite. He really missed it. He missed the camaraderie, the work, the routine. And so I'm, I'm really not – I'm happy that he's coming back because he was – well, he, he was finished higher than any other wrestler at the NCAAs this year. All-American. Yeah, you know, and he made a huge jump, you know, from his last season to this season. So I'm not surprised, and I think that's great news. That's southeastrtc.com today to get involved with Virginia Tech Wrestling. Tech Sideline Podcast is also presented by Anytime Fitness. You know, each new member gets a free fitness consultation when you choose Anytime Fitness, and a program is designed for you. Sign up for a dollar through your first billing period. That's a terrific deal. You can call 540-951-1340. That number again, 540-951-1340. Ask for Tyler and tell him that Tech Sideline sent you. A lot to get through today. We're going to be talking Hokies hoops, Hokies football, and worth mentioning a little bit later, we'll talk about the hammering Hokies. And Chris, we've mentioned before on the podcast that that's a term that's always been around tech baseball, but I think Mm -hmm. it's fair to say Mm -hmm. hammering Hokies has a new meaning this year, especially this weekend. Yeah, um, home run records for a whole series, right? Was it nine, ten? Ten, Ten. wound up being ten. Wound up being ten. It's a lot of home runs for three games. And and that's the record for home runs in an ACC series or or A series? ACC series. And we'll talk about that a little bit later because – there's been a lot of big stats that have been put out from this weekend from Damian Salas, not just about the series itself, but also that, well, how does this sound? Uh, Virginia Tech leads the Coastal Division by two games, by two games. in April. It's it's the first time Virginia Tech, I believe, has won nine ACC road games in ever. one season. Yep. It's the first time they've ever been seven games above 500 at any point right. in the yep. ACC. One time in 2010, they were uh, – they were six games above 500, right. and they, they, they and they and, and they made uh, they made the NCAA tournament that year. Uh, they lost in the Columbia Regional. Um, even the even their their team that hosted in 2013 as a number one seed was only 16 and 14 in the ACC. Yeah. So to put that into perspective yeah. of what this particular team. Well, is I just doing. know that a few weeks ago they were six and six in the ACC, and they're 14 and seven now. They've won eight out of their last nine. I don't care who you're playing in baseball; winning yeah. eight out of nine means you're hot. Well, well, believe me, we'll spend a lot of time dedicated later in the show to talking about a team that's ranked in the top 25 in multiple polls, has a chance to win a coastal championship, and has arguably their biggest series of the year coming up this weekend in Blacksburg. We'll spend a lot of time talking about the hammering Hokies on the baseball side and the softball side, because there's a lot of good with those two programs. We'll get into football talk. We continue to preview different position groups heading into the 2021 season. And actually uh, it has been announced that the football opener against North Carolina is now set for Friday, September 3rd. I was looking on Hokiesports.com. Well, we knew it was either going to be a Thursday or a Friday. And right. And yes. So Friday night. So Governor Northam, it is in your lap. Now. <laughs> it, it is all up to you. A full lane stadium on Friday night. Well, I'll just call. say this. The first time that the dugout degenerates became a student section for tech baseball and how loud that place has been. I can only imagine 
the environment that we've seen in English Field with a, a thousand-person capacity. It'll be a lot of pent-up energy yeah. in Lane Stadium that night, I would say. No and doubt. I couldn't think of a better opponent. Well, we'll talk about the offensive and defensive lines today, two experienced groups. We will go in-depth about a couple of transfers that have come in. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show, as well as the commitment of Alex Orgy, the fourth commitment and second quarterback of the 2022 class for Virginia Tech football. But we begin the show today talking about Virginia Tech men's basketball with an addition of Michael Durr, who transfers in from South Florida. And I know this excites a lot of Tech fans, Chris. When you see in the second year of Mike Young making the NCAA tournament, the development of a lot of pieces, but it felt like uh, the fans and the message boards are gosh, can we get any bigger? Can we get a big man? And they've got one in Michael Durr, seven feet tall, averaged nearly nine points and eight rebounds per game this past season. How does the addition of Durr change the system for Virginia Tech for the better? Uh, I think it, assuming Kevin Aluma's on the team next year, and right. we'll get into that later, I think it provides some versatility with where you can play him. And and this could have been the case this past year if Pimsel had been healthy the whole year. But uh, Durr being a seven-footer, you can now play Aluma at the four spot, which is the which is a position he actually played at Wofford. Um, is that right? Yeah, he was he was the four at Wofford, I believe. Um, and you could do it matchup dependent. Um, we all saw how Justin Mutz dominated UNC because UNC basically throws a center out there at power forward, and Mutz can beat guys like that off the dribble and score twenty five points or whatever it was he scored that night. It was a lot of points. Um, but when you, when he goes up against a bigger guy, who's also really athletic, then he struggles as we saw against Florida. Right. Right. So you have the option now, uh, matchup dependent, of course, maybe Kevin Aluma gets most of his minutes, some games at power forward, maybe against other matchups, he gets, uh, most of his minutes at the center spot. So it just gives you versatility in your lineup and who you're facing depending on who you're facing, I, I think. And, and that we would have seen some of that this year if, if Pimsel didn't get hurt. But at the same time, Durr is a better player than Pimsel. He's seven feet tall and 250 pounds. Yeah, th- those are always fun numbers to read if they're on your team. <laughs> so that's what I like about it. So uh, I'm sorry I didn't print out his stats, and I don't have them locked into my head. But, about eight. Uh, Eight or nine points, uh, and seven rebounds a game. Sure, but I'm like thinking that. of his career stats. His career, 6.7 points per game, 6.5 rebounds per and game. And I think he started something like 86 of 92 games or some some big uh, number. And like he's, he had 10 points and seven rebounds against Virginia Tech in Bubblesville back in yeah. uh, back in November. So th- this is the, the rare opportunity over the last year of adding a player to your program who you've actually seen play in person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Imagine that. So, Um, so Mike Young has actually, uh, you know, the tech staff has actually scouted Durr and they've, they've game planned against him or game planned against the team that he played for when he played for South Florida. So I think it probably gives you a little bit of a, of of a different perspective, uh, you see a guy's on the transfer portal and you say, oh, we, we played against that guy. Let me go back and check my scouting report notes from November uh, where we listed the strengths and weaknesses of, of each player, opposition and everything. Let's see what we did about Durr. Yeah. And you go back and, and, and you check that old scouting report and then you realize, oh, well, yeah, that, that's a guy that can, that can help us. 
So he's a guy with, you know, he's played three years down there at South Florida. And his stats have been pretty much the same all three years. But he was he was a starter from the get-go. You know, so this is a very experienced player. And and I hear through the grapevine that, you know, this isn't a, oh, let's <laughs> grab this guy and plug him in here. The, this Mike Young is really excited about having Dura coming in. He think he can he can crank up his game and eyes. And it sounds like he does have the ability to step back and shoot the three ball. Only four of twenty his career, but you think about Keve Alumo. What was that number? He'd only attempted like three, three threes ever at Wofford. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he can transition to being someone who can spot think, up and shoot. I think Dur maybe maybe attempted one three pointer his whole career before this past year, and then he went four of twenty. Um, I don't. I don't I don't think South Florida. In fact, I know South Florida is not a particularly well coached team. Uh, <laughs> well, well, they've they've had a they've had a like eight guys enter the transfer portal. Something's going. Well, on well, there. Brian Gregory's their coach. Yeah, and uh, he's the old Georgia Tech coach. Right. And Georgia Tech during his tenure there never looked to me like they were a well coached basketball team. He was one of those guys who I believe had coached at Dayton before getting the the Georgia Tech job. And Dayton is kind of like VCU, like the program itself is going to win yeah. because it's such a strong program. So you, you're never quite you, – you don't necessarily know how great the coach is. Because is. Is he a great coach or is, it, or is he just have a really good record because of the program he coaches at, right? Um, like Shaka at VCU, he got all the notoriety for uh, getting VCU to the Final Four that year. Um did not meet expectations at Texas. Uh, I, I think uh, better coaches have come out of VCU. I think Shaka's a good coach, but right, I don't right. – yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, but VCU's had good coaches before right, right. and after. She, correct. But at any rate, uh, I think to to kind of beat, beat home the point that he hasn't been well coached, well, he will be well coached now. So Mike Young is probably like, man, I, I – it's not that he hasn't been coached before, but I, I, he's still got some developing to do, maybe with a better coaching staff uh, and, and being fair, sur- yeah. and being surrounded by yeah. by ACC caliber so players. So, to, to your point, you know, one of the things that happened to him this past year, Durr's third year, was his shooting percentage dropped. His first two years, I think he shot fifty-one and forty-nine percent, and this past year it was forty-one percent. And I don't, I don't blame that on the player. Uh, there was you know, clearly yeah, you something going on. There. I mean, you don't certainly, especially when he's a center. Like uh, it's just got to come down to shot selection, or or the offense just not clicking and missing a lot of shots at the end of the shot clock, which aren't good shots. Or, or some or of the some or I mean, and the guy took nineteen more three pointers than he ever had before. Yeah. It goes from his career high in three point attempts one to twenty. Yeah. Right. So so basically, you've got an extra sixteen missed shots that you didn't have in the past simply because he took 23 pointers. Yeah. yeah. So that that plays into it also. So with the addition of Durr, I want to ask you guys about what the rotation could look like, but as Chris pointed out, for us to look at what the rotation could look like, that means is Keve Aluma here. And there's been news the last week since our last podcast, and that is that Virginia Tech forward slash center Keve Aluma announced that he would test the waters of the 2021 NBA draft, but in his tweet, still maintaining eligibility as a Hokie. Now, what does that mean? Because I think there are some people who might hear declaring for the draft thinking that he's leaving and not coming back. Um, real quick, 15.2 points per game, 7.9 rebounds per game this past year. He shot 49% from the field. All ACC second team. Chris, 
what again, what does it mean to declare for the draft but maintain eligibility? I believe it means you can work out for teams, you can talk to teams. Uh you can I think you can go to that pre-draft camp. Mm-hmm. And uh now what you can't do is stay in the draft and if you don't get drafted then decide to go back to school. Like there's a deadline before the draft where you're either in or you're out. Right. I believe that's what I read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh basically He'll talk to people in the know, scouts, GMs, coaches, et cetera, et cetera, in the NBA, and get feedback on where he would be drafted, if he would be drafted. Um, not only for this year, but for next year. You know, Aluma is, by the time the draft rolls around, he'll be 22 and a half years old. He's a, he's a birthday buddy with you. I think, mm. I think it's like really? December, December 30th? December, or 31st, one or the other. Right around yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. So somewhere, somewhere around in there. Um the NBA draft trends young. You're generally – the guys who get drafted in, in the NBA draft are generally 20 or younger. And uh, if he doesn't enter it this year, I, like, I don't think he would be drafted if, if he entered this year. I think that's what we what he'll find out. But if he waits till next year when he's 23 and a half years yeah. old, yeah. He, there's even less of a chance that he would be drafted. Um, and then, of course, there's, uh, there's the overseas aspect of it. Um, he would likely sign a contract with a club in Europe. Um, you're probably looking at an initial contract of a couple hundred thousand, a uh, couple hundred thousand euros playing overseas. And, you know, and he's also a guy with potential at, at his peak in Europe could be making seven figures, low end seven figures. I mean, some of those European in Europe, club, yeah. in Europe, uh, because that's that's where Jamon and and they they and were all Delaney making yeah they were all up. making in the one point three to one point five million euro range per you know, year and and your biggest European clubs are they're owned by soccer clubs right like the highest paid uh, European play uh, player in Europe last twenty nineteen played for FC Barcelona he made like five million euros yeah. right. Um, the, the, the tur- Turkish teams are, are really big, and they're all owned mm-hmm. by the big Turkish soccer clubs. So they are over there. It's, they're not just like a football team and a basketball team and a, and a and a soccer team. A lot of them, it's all sports clubs. Like imagine if, for you DC sports fans, like imagine if the the Caps, the Nationals. Nats. Washington the, football team. Yeah, the Washington football team. The WFT. Yeah, all of those were, were owned by the same mm-hmm. – they, they were all in the same organization, and it was just called Washington Athletic Association or something like that. And they had all these different teams in, in their various sports, and that's what in some countries it's like overseas. And, and they possess a lot of financial power, so they can pay a lot of money. So every year, Keve Aluma – every extra year at this point, Keve Aluma stays in college – uh, he's losing either six or seven figures. Uh, so for, from his uh, from from his career earnings, and he has uh, been remember he's been in college four years because he sat out last year. He played two at Wofford, sat right. out and last year, and then played. He'll this be, year. be twenty-two and a half years old by the yeah. time. Yeah, uh, and he'll have his degree. I assume. I assume he'll graduate this spring. So there's a lot of things to consider. And when you're you're an athlete, there's a you have a short shelf life where you can. Is GC Hokey thirty four phrase on the boards? There's a short shelf life where you can use your body to make money because yeah. there's going to come to a certain point where you're just not going to be as effective athletically anymore. So, 
I think he'll come back. That's my personal decision because you just don't see guys at this point. I think you will one day. Um, you don't see guys saying, ah, you know what, I'm just going to leave early and I know I'm not going to go to the I'm, – I'm not going to play in the NBA, but I'm going to go ahead and sign in Europe and just start making money as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. You don't see that very often. I think you'll see it one day, a sp- a sp- particularly if the sport continues to grow overseas like, like it has yeah. recently. Well, and I also think on a side note of that too, if, if college basketball – waves the one and done rule which it sounds like there's momentum of that potentially one day happening where players can go from high school to the nba draft and you have those older players that might take all four years of college and then go play in europe right away by the way malcolm delaney is a prime example of somebody who went to the european route and then played in the nba for three to five years and made good money as a backup point guard with the atlanta hawks for a couple of years yeah so i mean you can make that jump from from European to uh, yeah. uh, leagues uh, to the NBA. But, uh, Zabie and Dowdell did it, too. Yeah. yeah. Played so, for the Suns back in the day. Well, it does seem like, though, to be able to get advice from these top scouts, I mean, it seems like this is a good decision for oh, Alabama, yeah. correct? Yeah. Um, so Virginia Tech students will – let me put it in terms you'll understand. You can take a class, and you can go through the entire semester of the class, and right up to the end you can withdraw, <laughs> and there's no penalty. I think once you take your – and you guys, their students can correct me on this. I think once you take your final exam, you can't withdraw. Correct. So it's kind of like the draft is the final exam for Keve Aluma. He, he shows could, up as a big W on your – Yeah, he, <laughs> he could go to 14 weeks of class, and he's got to decide in that 15th week, do I want to keep taking this class or do I want to just withdraw? That's a really great analogy. And I do want to point out, by the way, and we had this on uh, our article at TechSideline.com, if Aluma is drafted at any point in the NBA draft, he'll be the first player from the Eastern Shore to be drafted since VCU Sharon Mills in 1993. How about that for an interesting stat, too? Yeah. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's just Maryland Eastern Shore or the, the Eastern Shore of Maryland, if that includes the Eastern Shore of Virginia or not. But I can't imagine there's really been any guys from the Eastern Shore of Virginia to be drafted either. So, yeah. All right, so let's wrap up Doesn't the happen. men's basketball conversation with this. So there are new – players there are new pieces let me also point out that i believe mike barber of the richmond times dispatch was the one who first reported this but cordell pencil is not returning oh that's right yeah and wabisa bd has still yet to make up his mind on if he will return or not <laughs> i so, see wabisa bd now the basketball season has ended and i guess he's got more time on his hands walking his dog yeah. up up and down the street outside the, the crc last he, podcast i literally drove right by him and he's, I, he's got a big rottweiler that just follows him around. Doesn't yeah. even need a leash. Maybe the, ne- maybe the next time I'll see him, I'll stop and ask him. That's awesome. <laughs> you should. That means he's uh, trained his dog well, right? If you can yeah. walk in the Corbett Research Center without a without a leash, yeah. right? So he is still waiting on, uh, or we're still waiting to hear if he will return or not. But will let me start with you. The addition of your favorite name, the Storm Murphy. Yeah. Right. And now with the addition of Michael Dern, let's just let's just say that Aluma does return. Right now, you've got three options down low. And Mutz, Aluma, Durr. We already have a question in the chat about what this mean for Ojiako. Let me ask you this. When you envision the starting five right now on Monday, April 12th, what does it look like to you? Durr at center. Um, Aluma starting at the four. Three. Chris, do you see Mutz there? No, nah, no chance. Who do you, who no, do you no. see there? Well, I mean, 
Radford and Aline as your wings. I, I kind of the two and the three are kind of the same. Yeah, same but, but and that's type. also very matchup dependent whether you're going to start Mutz or Radford at, at at the three. Well, you'd never start Mutz at the three, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, I think he's just an undersized power forward. That's who he is. Okay. Um, um, and so shooting, so help me. Shooting guard would be Aline. Elaine. Elaine, right. right. I knew there was somebody I wasn't thinking of because my brain always goes to Hunter Couture, right? Right. Everybody knows that about me. <laughs> when I start talking about shooting, it Charge. goes to Hunter Couture. <laughs> so Elaine and Couture at the two. And at, at the one, you've got Storm Murphy. You can use Couture there if you want to. We'd rather have Beatty. We'd rather have Sean Padula. Just God, we'd rather redshirt Sean Padula. Yes, indeed. There we go. Twenty-five minutes. <laughs> so, so that's there your breakdown. So let's start from point guard and go in. You've got um, Storm Murphy with uh, Couture or Beatty at shooting guard. You've got Aline and Couture at the three. You've got Radford. You sure well, you can occasionally put Mutz at the three? Maybe against Florida State. Or, or just, North Carolina. I just think you got too many bad ball handlers on the court if you put, <laughs> if you put Mutz at the three. Uh, uh, I don't know. See, uh, the, the two and the three, I mean, depending on your personnel, to me the two and three is it's more about how, who you guard on the other end than uh, yeah, and I don't, I don't offensively, know. what's the difference? I don't know where Darius Maddox fits in all this. One it's or the question. two or the three. Yeah. Because uh, we saw so little of him. No. Uh, he can he can play wing or point guard is the way I see it. Um, what is he six four? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So t- Tech has multiple guys that can play every single position basically. Yeah. Yep. And that's good to have in college basketball, right? And you look at like the NBA, like the Warriors, like they were the first to really adopt like positionless basketball. Putting a like Draymond Correct. Green's a three or four, they put it to five. I mean, I feel like right. that's the way basketball is oh, well, is trending. The ability to play many different positions uh, on the floor. It was particularly the case in, in the Buzz era. Yeah. Tech. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Spe- that, that was as golden state as you can get. Speaking of the buzz era. Well, we wait, a, let's, let's, let's get back to the Ojiako discussion. Great question. Yeah, yeah, let's start with that. I actually have a couple of great questions in here that I'd love to get in now since we're talking about basketball. Um, that's actually the first question of the day. Alan mm-hmm. Potts, what does Durr's addition mean to Ojiako? I just, I, I know that, hmm, I need to tread carefully here. I just think it's it's a critical time for Ojiako at Virginia Tech. If it doesn't happen soon, if it doesn't happen next year, like if he's not backing up Durr and getting major minutes, that 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 may be it. You know. Oh uh, well, I mean, technically speaking, if let's say Durr's your starting center, let's say he got hurt, then guess who your starting center is? Kevin Aluma. Uh, that's right, yeah. Right? I, well, th- this is what I wrote a couple weeks ago. If you add another, if you add somebody who's going to play center for you. Then it just pushes your freezing Ojiako out, out. Yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So, but he and he has he has the highest ceiling uh, between like he's got he's got a pretty high ceiling. He's he's a good athlete. He works really hard. You couldn't tell it this past season because he didn't see he, he didn't get an entire preseason. Yeah, he missed the entire preseason in the first what month of the regular season, um, and all those non conference games. Right. 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 Exactly. Uh, so he has had he didn't have the proper developmental off season. Uh, that you would like um but he's gotten to the point you know i guess he's 20 years old now where he needs to play to develop i mean the, the, yep every player in whatever sport reaches a certain point in his career where practice yes it helps but it's more about keeping you sharp and, <laughs> yes. and keeping you in game rhythm and, and, and that makes me think of malcolm's aau basketball career <laughs> where it was mostly practice right right uh, but it's, anyway it's just, it's a it's a critical time for og yeah yeah, just, yeah, you know. yeah so he's got to uh 
He's got to have a really good off season. Well, number um, one, he's got to stay healthy, completely healthy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, now, if Mike Young sees Aluma as a full-time power forward and will play no minutes at all at the center spot, then Ojiako is the backup center, and, and this isn't an issue. Um, but that also slides Mutz to the bench. So somebody's getting somebody's minutes are going. A very productive player. Right, right, exactly. But but it's good to have all these options. But at the same time, you also have to recognize, like if Ojiako came out and hit the portal tomorrow, I would not be surprised. And I'm not saying he is. I don't know what's going. Through. And we're not saying he should. Right, right. Um, I don't know what's going on through through his head. Um, but I do think at this point languishing on the bench doesn't do anything to him from a player development standpoint. Uh, I'm going to use Johnny Hamilton as an example here. Johnny Hamilton was a JUCO recruit who came in and played maybe eight or nine minutes a game under Buzz. I think I guess it was the year Tech made the NIT, so Buzz's second year. Hamilton's a, se- a seven-footer. Great, good, good athlete. Great athlete. Good athlete. Great, sh- shot, shot blocker, everything like that. Wasn't Jumper, really He could jump and run. and Rebound. Wasn't really a fit for what Buzz wanted to do offensively. Um, transferred to Texas A and M. Corpus Christi, maybe. I don't know. Uh, like I, don't, I don't know. Some school in Texas. Evans so in it was the division Evans one. In the middle of it was the it division one school in Texas. But at any rate, he went down there and started, and you know, averaged twelve points, eight or nine rebounds a game in the conference championship game for his school. He had like twenty four points and thirteen rebounds mm. or something like that. And he actually got uh, – he, he played, I think, a little bit in the, in the G League, and he now is on the roster for one of those big Turkish basketball teams. And this is development that uh, never would have occurred if he had stayed at if Virginia. If he had stayed at Virginia – if you're a scout for a, one of those big European clubs and you're trying, to, you're trying to figure out who you need to scout and everything like that, and you're just a – lot of, a lot of times it comes out to pure numbers. Hmm, this guy at Virginia Tech is averaging nine minutes a game and 2.2 points per game. Yeah, we're not going to scout him. Oh, look at this guy for Texas A&M, Kingsville, or whoever he played for. He's averaging 12 and 9, and he just had 23 points and 14 rebounds in his conference tournament championship, which I watched on ESPN. I think that guy can help us. I'll scout him. Yeah. Right? Um, So languishing on the bench at Virginia Tech does not necessarily do – I mean, these guys aren't aren't necessarily thinking about. I mean, they got their whole career to think about. Uh, basketball isn't. I mean, these days is such a world, worldwide sport. You can't think of it in terms of oh, four years in college, and then if I don't make the NBA, I'll just go get a job. Mm-hmm. You have a chance to make a lot of money overseas. So, from a basketball career perspective standpoint, to these guys, Virginia Tech is just one portion of their basketball career. And if they don't do what's best in the short term, then there won't be a long term. That is correct. There you go. All right, we have a couple of great comments, which one we will get to a little bit later. I'm going to tease something for uh, YouTube questions towards the end of the podcast, and it comes from Roddy Adams. And those in the chat can answer his question. You guys can think about it. Do you think VT should amend the requirements to get a banner and lane of cast, uh, lane or castle? The national award is just too strict, especially in basketball. J-Rob and Malcolm should be up there. So we'll think about that. You guys will answer that question a little bit later. And if you have a question for Will or Chris, we will get to them at the end of the show. But Life Learner says, let's get to football in the chat. So let's do that. Let's transition from 
basketball to football. Virginia Tech picked up its fourth commitment of the 2022 class last week and its second quarterback of the 2022 class in three-star quarterback Alex Orgy, six foot three, two hundred and twenty-five pound quarterback, the number fourteen dual threat quarterback in the country, totaled over twenty-five hundred yards and twenty-seven touchdowns during his twenty twenty season. Here's his offer list: consisted of Baylor, Houston, Kansas, Michigan, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas Tech, Vanderbilt, where his brother plays, and UVA. Chris, I'll get your initial thoughts. You wrote the article. It's up on TechSideline.com. Your thoughts on Alex Orgy. Uh, he's a big guy, 6'3", 225. Yes. Uh, he's a smart guy. I think both his parents went to Vanderbilt. His mom's a surgeon mm-hmm. in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I think he actually has two brothers that go to Vanderbilt. That go to Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, smart family. Uh, I actually like what he did with his huddle film. Like, he's got his complete highlights on huddle but he's also got this extra highlight tape that's like four or five minutes long that all consists only of his rpos and quick game throws Mm. so he's got a pretty good idea of what certain amount of college coaches you know want to see right right. um so i mean it's it's one thing to look at a highlight tape and, and see a guy who's a better athlete than everybody else in high school uh, avoid a rush and then run 60 yards or something like that. If you're if you're a coach, you're like, okay, yeah, he's fast. I get it. He's not going to be able to do that nearly as much at the college level. Uh, let me fast forward and find stuff. Let's see. That, that's else. that's a little more uh, that translates a little better to what we're looking for, and, and that's the type of stuff right there that college coaches would would want to see. Like like if I'm a college coach, and obviously Tech has full game has access to to full game highlights but you know if, if you want to do your initial research and decide whether you want to take a deeper look at him i've got those two videos right there his highlights or his rpo short game i'm actually going to click on the rpo short game first yeah, yeah. so the fact that he's thinking like that um there's a reason he did that shows me that he's probably a little more advanced from the standpoint of of he understands how things work. So th- th- this whole thing of recruiting Texas kids, one of the things I like about it is somebody who has to cover it is, so he commits and you and you go to find, just try to find a picture of him. It's easy because tech, <laughs> football is so big in Texas mm-hmm. that, that there's just a wealth of material on these guys. Now that's neither here nor there. It doesn't say anything about him as a prospect, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a real sophisticated scouter, but when I look, what I see is size, like mm-hmm. Chris said, 6'3", 225 which means he can get to 235 or 240 in college. Um, good, strong arm. His release is not quite the overhand release that, that is the perfect uh, textbook passing form. It's more of a three-quarter. He gets it out fairly quickly. It's not a long looping throw, but he also doesn't snap it off real quick. They'll work on that stuff, you know, when he gets here. But just like, uh, who is it Devin Farrell, the, the QB mm-hmm. out of Georgia? Yeah, keeps his eyes downfield. One characteristic yep. both those guys have is they just, when they when they break the pocket, they keep their eyes downfield. And so I, I watched Orgy's uh, eight-minute-long highlight video, and I just I specifically watched that every single time he broke the pocket. He never took his eyes off of downfield, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's the kind of thing Chris and I always go straight I, to. I, I, I want to. This is I'm delving deep into my memory bank here, but uh, Tyrod Taylor's first scrimmage at Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. uh, I guess August of 2007, um, 
went to went in Lane Stadium to watch the scrimmage, and there was a play where, surprise, surprise, the Virginia Tech offensive line didn't pass protect very well. So Tyrod goes scrambling, right? His running back is running out into the flat, and there's no defender on that side of the hash at all. Like, it was a total busted coverage by, by the defense. And Tyrod, at that point in the stage of his development, was not a guy who kept his eyes downfield when he was on the run. Now, what Tyrod did is juke and jive, shake a couple defensive linemen, and made a linebacker miss, ran about 50 yards to gain 10. And the whole crowd was just mesmerized by <laughs> his athleticism. Yeah. And it looked like a great play if you're watching. And then the coaches came up and started yelling at him because he just ignored an easy touchdown, his wide open receiver running down the sideline out of the backfield, right? So when the coaches went back and graded that scrimmage, he got a negative on that play, even though he picked up a first down, yeah. right? He did not make the correct play, didn't keep his eyes downfield, took a first down, uh, but could have had a touchdown, right? And so, so some people, like Tyrod was a – turned into a great passer at Virginia Tech and he was a smart guy and everything like that but but it took a while it took a while yeah it took a while I mean and and that's why he didn't like I was actually thinking about him the other day it's why he didn't come in and completely take over the starting job his his first his his sophomore year he had more interceptions and touchdowns yeah uh and now part of that was because his receivers were all freshmen because him and Glennon took huge step backs statistically that year compared to what they were the year before when they had Eddie Royal and Josh Morgan and all that but 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 at any rate uh, it took – there were intricacies to playing quarterback that, that I, I don't think he necessarily got taught playing in the 7-5-7 where it's, seem, where it's so much all athleticism. Whereas, based. like, down in Texas, they, they do take the art of quarterbacking more Very seriously. seriously. Texas, right. California, yeah. some right. places of Florida. And we're not saying that, that, uh, that he's going to come in and be most advanced guy on the planet and, and everything like that because I, I think he is raw in a lot of ways. Yeah. But but, I, I, both of those guys, Farrell and Orgy, I think they can run. They're good runners, but they they're always thinking pass first. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm going to throw some names at you guys, and I understand that it's Monday, April twelfth, twenty twenty one. May I add, and there are many years down the road of development, but I, I get to do this as the host. I get to ask these kind of questions and sit back and see what kind of answers I get. <laughs> I'm going to throw a couple names at you. Connor Blumrick, Knox Kadem, Devin Farrell, Alex Orgy, Taj Bullock. The future quarterback of Virginia Tech, the one that you're most excited to see develop and could potentially become QB one of the Hokies when Burmeister graduates. Of those names, starting with Chris Coleman, is who? Uh... I think Bloomberg's kind of a place setter. Like he, he lets, he allows Taj Bullock to redshirt. Um, he could potentially help, but to me, he's a depth guy right now, unless he proves otherwise. I think that's fair. Um, I, I Kadem, his arm strength doesn't just doesn't. I think he's a good natural quarterback. His arm strength is not ideal. Now, granted. We watched an, uh, another quarterback whose arm strength was not ideal light Virginia Tech up one time in FedEx Field, and he's now the – or last I checked, he was like offensive coordinator of the Cowboys, and I'm talking about Kellen Moore. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, Kellen Moore was incredibly accurate, though. And, and had a long, long NFL career and everything like that. Uh, 
as a backup and now is a coordinator or a quarterback's coach or something like that. But at any rate, uh, so I do think Kadem has a chance, but that drawback is, is going to be there to a certain extent. Of those other three guys, I, I like them all for, for different reasons, man. My favorite to watch on film is probably Farrell. Yeah. Um, Bullock, I just love recruiting kids from that. What, what size is Bullock? 6'4", 230-ish. See, I'm, I'm going to say Bullock and uh, and Orgy. Well, Bull, Bull, Bullock, Bullock's going to be a year ahead of those, those yeah. guys, of course. And maybe even two years, right, if they redshirt? Or no, because he's redshirting this hey, year. Yeah. Hopefully. You know, but but I I think if you if you just look at – so let's assume the coaching staff is this coaching staff. The quarterback winds up running a lot. I, you know, I don't want to get into the development issue, issue and Hendon Hooker versus Gerard Evans, blah, 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 blah. There's just a track record now that the quarterback runs a lot. So the smaller right. the quarterback, the, you know, the less certain I am about his future. I don't – no matter how skilled he is as a quarterback, if he's 5'11 or 6 feet tall, see, like, say like Demetrius Davis, maybe I felt different about him. You know, he was real. He was thick because he he was a thick guy. Yeah. So I had a little bit of confidence that he could take a little bit of a beating. But you know, otherwise, I'm just going to gravitate to the six three and six four guys. That it's just the yeah. Gerard, the Gerard Evans mold. I mean, I guess I lean slightly more towards uh, Bullock just because he he'll be here. Like if Bullock turns out to be a good player, and if he shows up and he impresses in his first season, while he red shirts, uh. Those other guys, you know, when he when Bullock would, I don't know, man. It's just it's a lot of football, a lot of practices between now and then. Um, I would lean toward Bullock because if he if he impresses the coaches early and if he gets himself in there and moves up the depth chart and everything like that, it would be hard for the younger guys to supplant him, and especially. Yeah, I don't know, man. We got a long time. But, but there's always yeah. injuries, nope. man. Guys I just, are always but, getting hurt. But this is this is why rankings are are, di- are so difficult. Like I look at all three of those guys, and they're all different players. But I don't know exactly where that each of them are ranked off the top of my head. But just, I but, uh, be- but but I mean, if one of them is ranked three fiftieth, one of them is ranked four hundredth, and the other is ranked five hundred. Honestly, I can't differentiate. It, it, at that point, it just comes down to personal preference. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the cynical part of me, Evan, when I hear that question, it, the, the question you're really asking is, who's going to start a quarterback? Which, Probably some transfer. Which which <laughs> one's going to be which one's going to be left standing while the others hit the portal? Right. Two or three years sure. from now. Yeah, well, well, because you bring up a good point. I mean, th- th- think about it, man. I was, I was I was thinking about this. Speaking of quarterbacks in the portal, I was thinking about this this past week. Everybody remembers the 2000 Pitt game when Michael Vick got hurt and his backup redshirt senior Dave Meyer. <laughs> redshirt senior. Redshirt senior Dave Meyer comes in the game and leads Virginia Tech to a victory. These days, Dave Meyer would not have been playing football at Virginia Tech anymore. Guess what? Dave Meyer might have cost himself a career in the NFL as a backup. Dave Meyer had a really good arm. Good he, arm. he was a good quarterback mm-hmm. and. He went to camp like he was on the Colts practice squad. But I remember that. But ultimately, he just didn't. He also became a grad assistant for Nick Saban at LSU. You're talking about a really smart guy 
good football player, but ultimately he, like, he just didn't have enough game experience to stick mm. in the NFL. Yeah. If he had hit the portal, if the portal existed and gone somewhere else and started, which he very, which he certainly could have because he was a good player, then you know he might have been able to be a backup quarterback in the NFL for a little while. You never know what can happen. So, 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 so by being loyal, he actually might have cost himself money. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so, so another another guy, the different sport that I was thinking about just yesterday, who who would be portal bait in the model modern era, is Andre Ray. Remember the basketball oh, player yeah. Andre Ray? No doubt. Andre stayed here and just stuck it out and stuck it out and tried to develop and. He 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 bounced to the portal after a couple of years these days. I uh, I remember I came to a Tech West Virginia basketball game one time and he banked in a three pointer the first shot of the game and Tech went up three nothing and those were the only three points he scored all. Year. I know I remember and that. and he just he was such a great athlete an elite defender. Uh, he was the only guy that could actually guard that little dude for GW. Like they would always Shanta Rogers. Yes, they would always stick him on on Rogers. I, I, I did. I did a long interview with uh, Andre after after his career at Tech was over, and and he was he was frustrated. Anyway, yeah. I'll ask you a quick trivia question for those listening, and it deals with a a certain movie. But we bring up the transfer portal and how there's like now immediate eligibility. I'll ask you this. The first school that was allowed transfers to come in and play without sitting out a year in college football. Who was it? Uh, was this recent or what do we? No, nope, it deals with a historic sports movie. I'll give you a hint. Huh? Uh, that deals again with college football. Really? I, I have no clue. Notre they... Dame. You thinking about Rudy? <laughs> Which a little bit past Rudy's time around that same, actually around that same time frame. It stars Matthew McConaughey. Oh, oh, we are Marshall. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking about that. Uh, Remember, that was such yes. a huge part of that movie when they're trying well, to build the team. Well, well, well back they go then, to the NCAA. Back then, freshmen couldn't play. Right. Um, they, they had their own well, that's freshman also, team. That might have been what it was. Uh, I'm sorry, the freshmen know, yeah, can immediately play. Fr- that, that might be that, what I'm thinking really, of. Yeah, um, Frank Beamer played in the first game ever in Lane Stadium, but it wasn't on Virginia Tech's for Virginia Tech's varsity team. It was Virginia Tech's freshman team. Played the day before the varsity team played. Trivia. You know what? Yeah. I think that's what I was saying. The freshman oh, playing. And, that was uh, such a big part of the movie, right? They had to go get the right. NCAA to agree and, to it. And, and guess what? Frank Beeper did not get into the game. Mm-hmm. Just stood on the sideline the whole time. He said, and if you read his book, he went to uh, watch the Blacksburg High School team play that, that night and just sat on the hill, I guess over there where the old stadium was, down near where I live, and just actually contemplated his future on whether he, he would make it at Virginia Tech or not. Well, thank God he didn't go anywhere. <laughs> Can you imagine if Frank Beamer had hit the transfer portal because he didn't play as a freshman? Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd be doing something else for a living, that's for oh, sure. Gosh. Yep. All right. Well, as our title of the podcast is Offensive and Defensive Line Breakdown, don't worry. We're going to spend the majority of the time talking about them and what the preview looks like for those position groups. Again, it was announced today that the season will start on Friday against North Carolina in August. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but a Friday kick, North Carolina and Virginia Tech. September 3rd, I believe. Uh, maybe it is September 3rd. Yes, that sounds right. September 3rd. I think that's right. But offensive and defensive line, two important position groups. What do they look like going into the 2021 season? We'll talk about it coming up. Episode 175 of the Tech Sideline Podcast continues after this quick timeout. Welcome back into episode 175 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Thanks so much 
for making us a part of your day. As we record on Monday morning, April the 12th, Evan Hughes back alongside Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. So let me jump in here and promote uh, Tech Sideline podcast sponsorship. Mm. It's that time of year. It is early, mid-April, so we're setting things up for uh, for the fall. Um, so if you want to, if you're interested in promoting your business, um, and if you're a regular podcast listener, uh, hit me up, will at sportswar.com. That's my email address. Or you can just, I don't know, give me a shout out on Twitter. Or uh, I don't know if my DMs are open or not. I could open them up. But so it's not just a podcast sponsorship thing. But let me show you what we can do for you across the entirety of everything we do. We have we got 47 million page views on the website last year. We have large followings on Facebook and Twitter. So really hit me up and I can put together, you know, we can talk about things, find out what you need. And I can put together a, a, a what I would call a holistic sponsorship package for everything, not just the podcast. Thousands of viewers and listeners I'm on the podcast. You, we, your your we, logo could be above my head right now. We have spent many, many years building up the entirety of everything that Tech Sideline does, and your business can benefit from it. And it doesn't even have to be in the Blacksburg area. If you're from that Richmond, correct. then yeah. the amount of people that we have that listen from Richmond, Northern Virginia, out of, I mean, that's the beauty of the podcast, right? Is it's available to everybody. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I, one of my buddies hit me up. I mean, I, my, he, he's back living in the States now, but he used to hit me up when he was living in England saying, listen, watch the podcast today, blah, blah, yeah. blah, you know? So it's, so, so it's just, a worldwide phenomenon now. So we do podcast. have open at the very upper tier. We, we want one uh, one sponsor to fill. I don't remember what I call the level. I think it's executive level or something fancy like that. So, and just imagine hearing the Tech Sideline podcast presented by insert your business's name here. Every time that that's only open to to one business. So that's the premier sponsorship. So again, send me an email or hit me up however you can. And that's Will at SportsWar dot com. Uh huh. There you have it. All right, well, as again, our podcast title, Offensive Line and Defensive Line Breakdown, what we've been doing the last couple of podcasts, we'll continue to do in the future because it's the springtime. We're previewing different position groups, and today we feature the guys up front in the trenches. Let's start with the Vice Squad, who has a lot of turnover from last year. This has been a strength of Virginia Tech the last couple of years, but the offensive line loses a first-round pick in Christian Darasaw. Luke uh, Brian Hudson, as well as names that totally escaped me, the other transfer portal. Doug Nestor. Doug, Doug Nestor. Nestor. Oh, Thank bro, you. Still breaks my heart. Why'd you have to bring it up? Uh, yeah. So three players that were key contributors on the offensive line from last season, but a lot does come back. So, Will, let me start with you. When you think about this offensive line, you think about the pieces who have experienced, the Lucita Smith, the Silas Janzies, the Luke Tenudos, Brock Hoffmans of the world. What do you think about the makeup of this offensive line moving into the 2021 season? I think the I think the the front line of players, the first string, can be very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a question of uh, what are injuries going to do to them. Like I remember when you're watching Silas Janzi play, and and he's a good player, but he was injured. You know, yeah, it was and, the beginning of 2019. Yeah. That's when uh, he was not playing well at the beginning of that season, probably playing hurt, and then Tanuda kind of came in and took his spot. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a. I think there's there's a lot on the first string there. Uh, how's the second string going to develop? How versatile are some of these guys? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, uh, we'd all love to have another Christian Derisaw, but those those oh. two star recruits out of nowhere. Well, Tanut is probably possibly a first, he's that good. Yes, but, 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 <laughs> yeah. but we knew that, that that we knew that he was a good player from the beginning. So a guy I want he's right at the top of our list as we look at it. Um, I'm be, I'm becoming a Lasita Smith fan. If you remember, he got, and again, this is getting very specific. I know you were asking a general question. Uh, wasn't he a tight end, Chris? When when Virginia he, Tech he played, he played tight end in high school. Yeah. But there was he, there was never a chance. He but was the way play he was built, end. you're like that guy's an offensive yeah, lineman, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and again, I want to I want to give some promotion to the mic'd up video that uh, he he did. It was called a mic'd up video, but it was really a combination of a session of him and Vance Vice and Brock Hoffman sitting around talking, and then Vice and uh, Smith being mic'd up during a practice. And I became a big Lasita Smith fan just, just watching that video. I mean, <laughs> half of it was bleeped out. I know. I'm actually <laughs> shocked Virginia Tech published that. I, you know, and, and I went on the message boards and I'm like, this is great stuff. It's okay. And I think we even talked about it on the podcast last week. It's okay if you got to bleep some stuff out, right. you know? And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had no problem with it, but I'm still shocked they did it. Yeah. Well, we know. all know football practice isn't a, you know, a nice compliment sandwich. Well, Some people it, don't know that, Evan. <laughs> so I apologize. I, I, I tell this story all the time. There was some rumor making around. Guys, this is close to 20 years ago. This some rumor making arounds that a couple of tech football players had gotten in a fight on the bus and and people on the message board were horrified that teammates would fight you know and, and again i talk about this all the time jeff holland texts me and he's like oh man we used to fight every day in practice i got into a fight in football <laughs> practice one time with one of my friends that we, happens we need, <laughs> we need jeff holland back on a podcast oh, oh, so, what and, a guy. And, so if you go and look at my twitter feed i i, I pulled out a picture of uh uh, Dwayne Alford and Calvin Klein fighting in, in a spring practice. And it's a hilarious picture because, number one, they're both wearing number 87. So two 87s are fighting, one in maroon and one in white. And Bud Foster's just kind of looking at him. He's got this growl Jack on his Jack Tyler's head. laughing. Jack Tyler was a linebacker back then. He's then James Hopper, who's a little 170-pound defensive back, who by now is a grad assistant, he's in there trying to break it, up. To break it up. These two linemen, basically. He's got two guys who are 250 pounds. He's like, man, you don't pay me enough much money much money to, to jump in here in the middle of this. So, so I, I put that thing on Twitter occasionally, probably every few years and Dwayne Alford always finds it and just laughs. At it. <laughs> um, I think one of the big questions, this offensive line group is who's going to play center hmm. Chris, because you have Brock Hoffman, the transfer from coastal Carolina who played there last year. What does the addition of Johnny Jordan do to this offensive line? It moves Brock Hoffman to right guard, most likely. Um, and that's a position he did play at Coastal Carolina. He can play guard or center. Uh, ultimately, I think you want to get your best five players on the field. And from certainly from an experience standpoint, Johnny Jordan it was a starter at Maryland and a solid player there. He, he could be the Storm Murphy of the offensive line where he, he's just he – was, there was a piece that was missing and he could be it. Right. And uh, – now, your other option there, if, like, Jordan didn't turn out to be as good as hoped, then you keep Brock Hoffman at center, you slide Janzy to right guard, and then you start Parker Clements at right tackle. That's the other option. Um, Clements is a guy that there's buzz building around him, right, that they like him? Both the true freshman linemen, especially Clements, but Caden Moore, too. Yeah. Uh, Vance Vice has a knack for evaluating offensive line talent, I think. I mean, again, just like Darisol, just like Janzy, these are guys nobody wanted. Nobody. Yeah. Two-star, three-star guys. By the way, Parker yeah. Clement's six foot seven. 
292 as a true freshman. Well, listed at 292 this past fall. He's yeah. probably 310, 315 now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Aircraft carrier type. Uh, he's going to play um, to a certain extent. I mean, we don't know how much. I don't expect there to be like a big rotation on this offensive line or whatever, and you do worry about what will happen if somebody gets hurt. Um, but that's, that's, that's starting five. You know, let's say the Johnny Jordan starts at center. All right, so you're starting left to right would be Tanuta, Lasita Smith, Johnny Jordan, Brock Hoffman, Silas Janzi. See, that's that's great. That's like I said. Uh, that's a, I, I'm perfectly happy. The, all right, with so Tanuta, draft pick, Lasita Smith, draft pick, Brock Hoffman, draft pick. So you think okay? That, I'm, so I'm that, gonna, that's I'm remember you said that. that's three guys from left to right who are all probably going to get drafted. Uh, Guards and centers don't get, don't get drafted very high. Uh, White Teller was only a fifth-round pick. Well, what, but, what but, I'd go back with but, Brock Hoffman is I've been very, very vocal that I really or, or, like the or, attitude he brings, uh, but he doesn't always so, grade so, out. I, so I, I just I just, I messed that up. Uh, Hoffman will be at right guard, Jordan at center. I don't think Jordan's good enough to get drafted, but three of those four guys from left tackle to right guard yeah. would get drafted. Janzy is not a, certainly not out of, the, out of the realm of possibility. What people forget about Janzy is at one point in the spring heading into 2018, he was ahead of Christian Darisaw on the depth chart, and then he got hurt. And he got hurt, right? right. And, and right. So this is a guy when he's healthy is a good player. You remember that highlight play from Pitt this past year when he got out on the screen and was blocking right. blocking for uh, Khalil Herbert and just he pancake one guy, then moved on to the next. So that was Janzy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure my brain converted that to Christian Darisol. No, that, that was Janzy. Uh, so, like I said, Virginia Tech's offensive line depth this past year was insane to have a guy like Janzy on the bench. By the way, the article that uh, Corey Van Dyke wrote about uh, titled Vance Vice Focused on Building Depth on Virginia Tech's Offensive Line, it's an uh, article written April 2nd. It's just still on the front page if you scroll down to the bottom of the website, uh, but it's a really good read. He has a couple of awesome quotes in there by the way like you guys were mentioning the video like you guys really I, I two things i want to point out and one is replacing christian darisol right and how's he going to do that and i thought this was a really excuse me great quote and he said uh i definitely believe that luke tenuta can handle the challenge we all know christian darisol is a great player he left and now it's time for that next guy to step up which is luke tenuta i definitely believe that luke tenuta can get the job done there won't be a dip in play i feel like we can get the job done and we will. When I when I was at a practice a couple of years ago, it was before Luke Tenuta had ever played his first game. A staff member told me that they thought Luke Tenuta was a future top fifteen yeah. pick. Yep. <clears throat> so yeah, that's and, that's been the buzz on and, him since he got and here. And that was the best tackle competition in the ACC this past year, probably maybe even the country. The only, I mean, Luke Tenuta graded out really, really high last year, and the only guy he struggled with was that guy from Miami, Jalen Phillips. Yeah. Who, yeah. by the way was a transfer from UCLA and he was the number one pick or, or number one recruit in the country coming out of high school. Number one overall. That's the only guy Tanuta struggled with. And uh, and it was his contract year. Not on I don't remember. Oh how yeah, old Jalen Phillips is. Well certainly in his contract year. <laughs> I mean he's he's in the NFL draft right now. Okay. Um the bigger issue with the line is depth, of course, but yeah. look, I mean this roster is not set in stone. It's a depth issue right now. Um like, they don't have enough offensive linemen. That, you know, you always have one or two or three guys hurt in the spring that can't play in the spring game. Like, they actually wouldn't have enough linemen 
right now probably to to split in half to form two different teams uh, to do like a spring game like we're used to, right? right? Um, they would have to do an offense versus defense t- type thing if they were to actually have one, but that's another story. <laughs> but uh, I, I, this roster is not exactly like, like it's going to look in the fall, of course. Um, you know, freshmen will enroll, but even if you throw out that, I think they're not done on the transfer portal. Like I, I think they'll, I think they'll get at least one lineman in here with experience. Ideally, someone who can play multiple positions mm. to create some artificial depth to a certain extent, and and that'll that'll help a lot. Um, I, I'm high on some of the younger guys. I think Daryl Bailey is raw. He moved over from the defensive line. I always thought he was an offensive lineman. William Jones is a walk-on. The best walk-on offensive lineman you can get. He's originally from Stewart's draft. He had like six or seven Division One uh, offers, and not like FCS schools either. I mean, uh, not Power Five schools, but but you know, mid, mid probably your Central Michigan types, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying they. Yeah, offered yeah, him I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact. But he played at IMG Academy in Florida. Yeah. So he practiced against the best every yeah. day, and then and then and then played a you know against that tough a tougher schedule and i mean img academy is where you want to go in the united states if you want to face the regardless of sport if you want to face the top competition every day and this is a guy originally from stewart's draft right off the 80 81 exit if you're going up towards uh charlottesville on yep. 81 yeah, I'm, so, I'm well familiar with yep. that area i've always wanted to take that exit because i look like it might be pretty scenic but i've never done it well so um, i think that that's either route 11 or 340 hmm. that, that runs through stewart's draft but I've, I've driven that many times i get off and i do 11 and 340 yeah. instead of 81 at any rate he's 6'6 286 i'm not saying he's going to play this year he shouldn't um uh, but he could potentially red shirt. always be a red yeah, shirt. He'll write his red shirt but I, I think he's a he's a guy to keep an eye on okay all right well let's transition from o-line to d-line because will i feel like this might be the most experienced intriguing and exciting position group that virginia tech football has going into the 2021 season what about the defensive line excites will stewart the most uh on an individual level jordan williams on a position level defensive tackles and and chris went into a lot of detail about that in a recent article about how there's just so here's a defensive tackle list um jordan williams is his Kind of the headliner there, I think, because he's a Clemson transfer. I don't want to slight any of the guys that are already in the program and have done a great job. But uh, um, so beyond that, you've got – so, Chris, you see the starters as being Jordan Williams and uh, – Kendrick. Dis- and – Oh, excuse me, not Kendrick's Pollard. Pollard, yeah. Pollard. yeah so, so that's interesting because most people might think Deshaun Crawford instead of Narelle Pollard. But, it could uh, be. It could uh, be yeah. if if, if – if Crawford gets back to his 2019 form, I mean, right. the guy was hurt all this past year. And then yeah. he tried – remember, he tried to play against NC State. Uh, don't worry, I'll get us started don't, there. Don't mind me up. Let's anyway. not go down that road. <laughs> so so the biggest thing is Norell Pollard's still listed at 6'0", 265. Because they don't update weights in the spring. Yeah, they but, only do it in August. But we saw him at that, that April 1st practice, and uh, he, he looks big. So he looked he, about if, the same size as Crawford. Crawford's listed at 290. We hear 285 for Pollard is more, is a more accurate. Yeah, and Crawford is like way. thicker through the ankles and knees and things like that. Pollard has a lot of muscle on him, you know. Um, so I I just it's interesting because Chris talks all the time. We talk all the time about how 
Pollard was a better fit for the for the Charlie Wiles type defensive line. Charlie Wiles, <laughs> Bud Foster, and so if if he does come in at two eighty, two eighty five, two ninety, then then that's that's impressive and, and should be commended. It's a lot of work to try to, to to reshape his body and position himself better for a different scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is actually going to be a similar discussion as basketball. When I look at this group of defensive tackles, and we'll talk about ends later, but I want to talk about tackles right now. I see a group of players, some of them at least. You know, it's almost you could almost go with a matchup situation. Right. Like it's third and two, they're likely going to run it down your throat. Then your two defensive tackles in the game are Jordan Williams, 310. Well, I think he's down to 300 now is what they said. I think that's what he but, said, But yeah. anyway, he's your biggest guy, uh, your longest. He's listed at 6'1". That's a typo. That's inaccurate. He's 6'4". Uh, and then Josh Fuga, 6'2", 323. Those are your big run stuffers. So if you're faced with that situation and the offense actually doesn't run to the line and you can actually substitute, yes, you know, uh, <clears throat> You could play those two guys, and those are your two main defensive tackles. Like if you're playing a team that's going to try to bludgeon you to death, like your average pit team, right? Maybe not so much the past couple of years when they're running game your wasn't typical strong, pit team. but a typical pit team. Uh, now, if it's third and eight or third and ten, yeah, if it's a long yardage situation and you know they're going to throw it, then Narell Pollard is one of your defensive tackles in the game because he's your best pass rusher from that position, and you know maybe Deshaun Crawford. Is, is in there with it. Um, so, you know, you can mix and match to a certain extent, de- uh, depending on the matchup with this group, if you, if you want to. Uh, there are seven defensive tackles on this roster, scholarship defensive tackles, now that Max Philpot is on scholarship, who have played snaps at the Power Five level. I was about level. to say, I mean, all I feel like at some point we've talked right, about right. on a podcast – at that, some point, right? Yeah, that, that's that's a lot of snaps. Jaden Cunningham is back also. He could also factor in as one of those bigger defensive tackles. Uh, now, the thing is, like, you don't want a rotation of more than five. Typically, the, the if you look at the Virginia, some of the great Virginia Tech defenses of the past that were deep on the DL, they were only rotating five defensive tackles. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes even not even the fifth. Yeah. Um, so – you want to talk about transfer portal? I mean, not not every one, single one of these defensive tackles is going to finish his career at Virginia Tech. I mean, that just just doesn't seem like it. Depending upon what happens next year, that's right. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, again, you and, and I want to bring this up real quick because <coughs> Jordan Williams is the I believe the thumbnail, the cover of today's podcast. Yes. Yep. And he is the transfer from Clemson, but you know, as excited as he is to be here, I mean, he has made it perfectly clear that this is a business decision sure right of why he left clemson why he's here and there's a very good chance i'm sure if he has a good year he is oh he's gone to the nfl right this is a one-year stop he's a one-year guy yeah Yeah. he's made that very clear and i'm okay with that i'm totally okay (laughs) with that i mean i know that means i know we're going to get his best effort he's got (laughs) because as we said earlier it's it's a contract contract here man yeah Uh, that's a good point it is you're right not only that but if and when the guy gets drafted they're not going to say he's from clemson they're they're going to say you know so-and-so virginia tech Tech. right just like when doug nestor gets drafted they're going to say doug nestor west virginia i can feel the pain in chris's voice when we bring up doug nestor and brian hudson oh my gosh i don't like talking about the transfer portal except it hurts me when we talk about those as you said but uh, you want to let's talk about defensive yeah let's move over uh you know, you can kind of see the, the, the difference in the in the Wiles era and, and the Daryl Tapp, Bill Terlink, 
Justin Hamilton way of doing things. I yeah, mean, when you look at the numbers on the page, which he's about yeah, to read Yeah, when you look at the heights of defensive end, there are, let's see, eight defensive ends on, currently on scholarship at Virginia Tech. And three of those eight uh, are, were recruited by Tech's current defensive staff. Wooten, Beatles, and Bryant, and they're all between 6'3 and 6'5". Mm-hmm. The other the other five guys are 5'11", 6'1", 6'1", 6'2", and then Barno's 6'6". Right. Barno's the, the rarity there. Uh, and I, I still think there was some Justin Hamilton influence. On Barno? Yeah, on, on the part of Barno. Because he was recruited as a linebacker, you know, I remember originally. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, I, I, so I feel like there was some influence there from uh, Jaham to a certain extent, even though he wasn't the defensive coordinator yet. Or certainly, I think uh, maybe it's one of those deals where Justin Fuente knew Bud Foster was on the way out, and he probably had it in the in the back of his mind that he was not going to retain Charlie Wiles at the time, so he was just going to recruit whoever the heck he wanted that year. Right. Uh, you know, despite you know. I think he exercised more control and uh, the type of personnel tech tech went after defensively then. But when Barno was recruited, was there ever a possibility that they they thought he might be an outside linebacker, a backer? Well, well he played backer. He re- he redshirted his. Well, backer. there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but but they had to talk him into moving to defensive end. They wanted to move him to defensive end immediately, and he he didn't want to do it. Yeah. it took him a whole year to convince him. Um, but there's a lot of experience here. Belmar has played a ton of snaps. Barno now played a lot last year. Uh, Jalen Griffin's played a lot. Ty Garbutt's played a lot. Robert Wooten got some time on the field last year. Your boy Eli Adams has played some. <laughs> so there's uh, six defensive ends w- w- with snaps at this level. And you foresee uh, who is being the starters at end? I would, like, if I, if I had to pick right now, it'd be Belmar and Barno. Um Belmar was still not a full go in the practice we went to. I mean, that yeah, he had, a, he had a head injury last year that kept him out for over half the season. Uh, I guess that means severe concussion. I really don't know. Mm. Um, I don't know if he was limited when we saw him because of that or because of something else. But if for some reason he can't go, then, well, my goodness, you turn to Ty Garbett, who, who has been a starter for Virginia Tech. In, right. in the past and i don't think he's an ideal starter but he can be serviceable and, and so so could jalen griffin like but i think if belmar is 100 percent, then he and barno are your best options there um now chris did you get a look at barno because i, I looked at him in the practice on april 1st and, and i did not think we always talk about can he get bigger he didn't look bigger to me but um, I, did, I didn't see him at all okay yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know I, and i could be wrong yeah you know? Is, is is it fair to say that Barno is somebody who has arguably the highest ceiling of any defensive player for Virginia Tech? Uh, I don't know of any def- any defensive player, but certainly a defensive end, unless somebody uh, shows us something we haven't seen. Well, I yet. think Beatles has a high high ceiling yeah. too. Um, Beatles, I'm not going to say he's as good an athlete as Barno because hardly anybody's as good an athlete as Amari Barno, but he's going to be bigger than Amari Barno. He's going to have a better blend of strength and athleticism, I think, long-term than Barno, or he has the potential to. Uh, now, Barno, for his size, if you go back and watch the tape, he's a lot stronger than a 6'6", 
pound frame would suggest. I just remember like watching Barno at the very beginning of last year and being worried because he did not look strong, and then <laughs> a few games later he did. Right, um, yeah. He, I mean, he didn't look it until you actually saw him play. Well, and, I was, that, and I was, that's I, but, and that's at two thirty five. He can get to two fifty five. But man. I, but I Oof. saw him get pushed off the line a little bit in the first couple of games, and then that stopped. Right, and he, he was fine after Brad, that. Sometimes getting pushed off the line isn't necessarily about strength. It's about you're just not experienced enough to get your hands in the right spot right. and everything like that. You got to learn how to play. All right, so you said Jordan Williams, one of the uh, players you're most looking forward to on the defensive tackle. Give me one defensive end when uh, Tech oh, plays the field Barno? against besides Barno. <laughs> besides. I, I was about to say besides <laughs> Barno because there are a lot. I mean, you think about the the hype that came in around Wooten. And Bryant, mm-hmm. when they were recruited, here they are their second year. In the well, Beatles, Beatles was my favorite as far as all those guys go. Uh, I think he's still so raw, though. I don't see him playing that much this year. Mm. But hey, he can still redshirt, right? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, uh, um, I, I like Beatles. You know, just from the way he presents himself on social media, his enthusiasm for the I've team. Heard and he's the game. a really hard worker too. Yeah, he's six five, two thirty two, and you know how I've been talking all the time about how he reminds me so much of James Gale and Chris right. Ellis from a physical standpoint. And I could see it when I finally saw him in person a couple of weeks ago. But uh, I guess it was Daryl Tapp who did kind of an exit interview with, I guess it was Andy Bitter. Mm-hmm. And Daryl Tapp literally said, Beatles is a guy who can be like James Gale and Chris Ellis. And I just felt so validated. Daryl <laughs> yes. Tapp said exactly yes. what I had been saying. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> So I I, I, I I would go just simply because I don't know how much Beatles is going to play this year. I'll go Belmar. Belmar's a guy who had three sacks against Duke last year. You know, he had three sacks. He was playing really good football for Virginia Tech at the beginning of last year, and then, bam, he got hurt. It was like the third play of the game against Wake, I think. So he hardly played at all last year when you really think about yeah. it. But he was playing very well when he was there. So if he's healthy – then, you know, I think I think the simple fact that Barno will be on the team and in the lineup will help whoever's lining up at the other defensive end spot. So for, for me, the, the two guys I'm going to keep an eye on, I wouldn't say I'm most excited about, but they're just guys I want to keep an eye on is Robert Wooten and Alec Bryant because they, they came in and Wooten got to play and Bryant did not. And Bryant was the four-star recruit. Yeah. Uh, like – so if you asked, if you just go by recruiting stars, would, yeah. who would you rather have, Alec Bryant or Robert Wooten? Well, so far, well, you'd rather have Bryant, but so far Wooten's been the better player. Yeah. And But I don't think you can really, really judge all, any of those true freshmen. And not, this isn't just for defense. Particularly not last year. Yeah, because what, what you don't know or what most people don't know, at one point, you know, all, those, all, all of Virginia Tech's true freshmen, <clears throat> I guess they all live in the same hall. You know, the the Tech's true freshmen, they don't live off campus. They live in a dorm. And I guess they live all on the same floor or the same hall or whatever because every single one of them had to go into quarantine during practice last year and missed two whole weeks of practice. So, in hindsight, it's amazing what Dorian Strong was able to do last year as a true Mm. freshman. The guy hardly got to practice before the season even started, right? Um, Same thing for for these guys. I mean, Wooten got to play. But, I mean, the guy had barely practiced for Virginia Tech before he actually mm-hmm. sat on the field. Yeah, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily say anything about Bryant. but Or, or any of them. He, he yeah. is a guy that I just think those are two important recruits, and I want them both to do well here and stay here. All right. They're both from Texas, by the way. Yep. We have our uh, winning comment of the day. No offense to anybody who commented. But 
hokey legend and tech sideline favorite Jeff Holland has chimed in and said in all caps, I fought all the time in practice with an exclamation point. <laughs> Who did he fight the most? That's, that, that's what yeah. I got to Well, as we transition into fun questions, let's see if he responds. Jeff, the floor is yours. Whatever you want to comment, we'll say here on the podcast. But I love that all caps. I fought all the time in practice. Thank you, Jeff. Um, and let's hope that uh, you get to come back and do a podcast Jeff's with us old school, soon. man. Yeah. Jeff, what years was Jeff. he here, by the way? He was here Jeff? in the mid nineties. Uh, Ninety five was his last year, I think. Yeah. 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 So he would have been, I guess Jeff. Jeff would have been class of ninety one as yes. a recruit, I think. And then he redshirted. And he redshirted, man. <laughs> ninety two, ninety three. And, and then when he lost his starting job to J C Price, he didn't hit the transfer portal. He stuck around, kept fighting people in practice, and yeah, had a good but, career. Yeah, but you know, got to win. Got to win the Sugar Bowl. But, but, but Jeff's an old school footballer. He's tough. <laughs> he played it because he loved to play it. He's a little bit crazy still. After all these years, you yeah. know, I mean, he's the kind of guy you want playing football for you. Yeah. All right, let's transition quickly before we get to a couple of fun dis- uh, questions and discussions that we'll get to in just a moment. We talked about tech baseball, the hammering Hokies at the beginning of the podcast, but I just want to emphasize these stats one more time in talking about what's ahead real quick. Again, with today's win, and these all came from Damian South on Twitter, Tech Baseball, seven games above 500. They're currently 14-7, and seven, and ACC play for the first time. Previous side was six games, May 15th of 2010. They were 12-6, and six, I think. Um, and then 10 home runs this weekend, most home runs in an ACC series in program history. So all wasn't wasn't the previous record like seven, like nowhere close to ten? I, I believe yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they blew and it and keep in mind, now I will say, not trying to take any credit. Wait, Wake Forest does have you know, it's one of the smaller porches and and stadiums, but still, I don't care who you are, ten home runs is incredible. And so I just want to bring this up. So Tech baseball is in the top twenty-five many polls. They were ranked twenty-third last week. I assume they are going to move well up. Um, yeah, but. This weekend, such a pivotal series because they lead by two games in the Coastal. Georgia Tech is a perennial power in college baseball. I mean, it's a storied program led by Coach, I believe Danny Hall is his name. And uh, they come to Blacksburg this weekend. Three games, I think all three on the ACC Network Extra. And most important series of the year. And Will, it almost feels like if they could take the series against Georgia Tech, they're in the driver's seat to win the ACC. See, see, after you said ACC Network Extra, I quit listening. Are you telling me none of these games are on the ACC Network? I don't think so, but I'm pretty sure you've got John Laser and Andrew Wells on the call who yeah, will do a terrific yeah, job. Yeah, going to call all three. So, but anyway, I'm sorry. What'd you say after that? But just to me, it feels <laughs> like you take the series against Georgia Tech this weekend. You're in the driver's seat oh, to yeah. win the Coastal. Georgia Tech is one of the teams that's two games behind Virginia Tech. Correct. It's interesting. The other one's Pitt, whom the Hokies swept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're, they're both two games behind Virginia Tech. And, yeah, th- this is big. And I was looking at the weather. It's supposed to be halfway decent. Uh, I think it's going to be partly cloudy. Um, you know, any time when it's 55 or 60 degrees in mid-April in Blacksburg, that's fine. That's, that's, that's solid. That's, that's it could be get. a lot worse. No, there's still a lot of baseball left. After this series, they go to North Carolina State next weekend. Then they host Virginia the following weekend in the mm-hmm. series. Then they have a weekend series against Toledo. And then they yeah. go at Duke and home against Notre Dame with series. So there's still – so like, right, so, No, listen. All right. And that matters for ACC tournament seeding and everything like that. And that, that's, that's great. But let, let's talk about the NCAA tournament. Uh, when's – who – who do they play after May 10th? Evan. They 
play Liberty, a team that has beaten North Carolina twice this year. Mm-hmm. And Liberty is a really good – I yep. mean, that's a yep. good non-conference game. At Duke for a three-game series. And then Notre Dame, who was one of the top okay. teams in the Atlantic to All finish. Right. Well, none of those games matter. Now, they matter from an ACC tournament seeding perspective, assuming we have an ACC tournament. Mm-hmm. I guess we will. Uh Regionals are going to be decided on May 10th. Who hosts a regional, right? So We're not going to actually talk about that, are well, we? Well, because well, because well. the town of Blacksburg's made it very clear they don't want oh, anybody coming in. Sure. Now, and that uh, goes for softball as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, now, we'll see. Now, those restrictions get lifted the day after graduation, right? That's true. So... We'll see. That's, that's actually a really um, I'm not, good point. I'm not, I'm not privy to any of those conversations. But just for the sake of argument, let's say that, that they said, okay, you can host. Um, then that will be decided on May 10th. So then and, you, you've and, got and the Toledo bids series. are actually due in the next week or two. I yes, think. that so, is correct. And then, and then they'll make the decision actually – on May 10th of which schools host a regional. So anything after May 10th still matters for ACC tournament standpoint. But, but not, not forgetting to host a regional. No, yeah, yeah. Virginia Tech could lose out after May 10th, and if it's decided on May 10th that they're hosting a regional, then by God, they're hosting a regional. Man. I want to point out one thing. This Virginia Tech team has been so good while still having a lot of key pieces right. unavailable. And so you think about the. I mean, Nick Bittison is arguably the best player on this team, right? I mean, is that fair to say, Chris? Oh, well, well, I, I think I think when you factor in how many different positions he can play on defense and his, his offensive capability, then I think that's that's certainly a fair I statement. Mean, he's like he's kind of like, well, Chad Pender. Mm-hmm. Chad Pender can play almost every single position in Major League Baseball, and that's what makes him so valuable. Well. Also, Virginia Tech, you know, Nick Bittison's the same way um, for for, uh, for the Hokies and uh, play so many different spots. And I think the threat of him returning to just returning to the lineup has helped Virginia Tech defensively. Like, look how much better Kevin Madden has been defensively at third base over the last few weeks. And he's a guy who was really struggling. And at the height of his struggles in that Florida State series um, at third base, you're sitting there thinking, okay, Bittison's going to be back really, really soon. Uh we have to put him at third base, yeah. right? Because Madden is struggling so much defensively. And I'm sure that thought entered into Madden's head too. And he's gotten so much better. Yeah. Well, they've actually moved Schobel over to short. Bittison's right. been playing some seconds. So he's, yeah, right. But still, he's been playing. He can play. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that just the threat of him coming back to the lineup yeah. made Kevin Madden a better player. And this is why competition – is good. Yeah. yeah. And also, think about this. They haven't had their starting catcher, Kate Hunter, I believe, since the Florida State Series. They've been right. doing it with Dane Leonard, who's really stepped up behind the plate, and Garrig Ebel. He's yet to come back. And this past weekend against Wake Forest was the first weekend that Virginia Tech has had all three of their starting pitchers starting in a weekend rotation since the first week of March against North Carolina. Couldn't pick better timing with Georgia Tech coming to town. That's what I'm so – And that, that's a blessing in disguise. Virginia Tech's been able to keep winning despite that. And Chef is, you know, by necessity had to de- develop some more pitching depth, depth, uh, try some guys in some new roles. Uh, obviously, Connolly can fill any role for mm-hmm. Virginia Tech now, whether it's starting, long relief, close, 
um, and that's valuable. And and when when you lose a player due to injury, yes, it hurts, but it can also help in other ways, providing you actually find positive answers. Um, but yeah, I think it's helped Chef figure out his pitching depth and everything like that. And as a result, Virginia Tech is a stronger team going forward. There you go. All right, quickly, Hokey Chip is commenting in. Softball update. There's an upcoming podcast with the head of the D1 Softball Committee today that I will listen to and recap on the Olympic Sports Board. And he, uh, he points out that, again, that both softball and baseball regionals occur after graduation, which means the town of Blacksburg would have to extend their current policies past graduation if they were to keep that. So that's something to think about moving forward. Right. But I do want to shout out softball real quick, folks, because what a midweek game they have. You might look at the schedule and see Liberty and not really know what to think. That's on the ACC Network this Wednesday at 6 at Tech Softball Park. Liberty is 23rd in the nation in RPI. They are on the outside of looking into the top 25 program. I'll never forget when former coach Scott Thomas looked at me and told me that Liberty Stadium is nicer than Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. It is ridiculous. The the assets they have at Liberty Softball Park and Dot Richardson, a former Olympic gold medalist or head coach, I mean, that is a really good Liberty team. So that is this Wednesday. And then Virginia Tech will play four games this weekend at home against Georgia Tech. So the Yellow Jackets will be here for baseball and softball. Yeah, softball's been playing four-game series. Doubleheaders on Saturday. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. And that's all on the ACC Network Extra this weekend. Um, And they were off this past weekend. They swept Longwood. Again, a really good team that typically makes regionals every year. Longwood last week. So a well-deserved weekend off for Tech softball. And um, Florida State swept Duke this weekend. I don't know if you saw that. And Chip uh, uh, Chip Crow was saying on the, that they were Tech was getting a lot of love on the network for showing that they have beaten Clemson, Duke, and Florida and State, Florida State yeah. all in series. So, so what you're telling me is the state of Virginia is really good in softball, except for one team, kind of in the middle of the state, right? They're not so good in baseball this year either. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, they're dead last in the coastal. Who would have thought it? They they have they've really fallen off they, since they, the 2015 championship. They, they, they've won two of their last. Well, they've won their last two ACC series, and it's it's not. They, they did Virginia Tech the favor of beating Georgia Tech. They, they in sure series. did. They won yeah. two out of three over over yep. Georgia Tech. So uh, they're still a good team. They still have talent on that team. Yeah. I mean, anybody in this league is is good in baseball. Yeah. There's no easy out. Uh, Massey rankings today for softball uh, in terms of strength of schedule. Virginia Tech's number ten. Liberty's number sixteen. So. Uh, I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. I'm sorry, Massey. I'm sorry, real quick. Massey rankings number ten, Virginia Tech. Strength of schedule, Liberty sixteenth. Okay. So there you go. It's not out of the realm of possibility that you know softball by nature of their schedule and who they've beaten. You know they they could be a one seed this year if you throw everything else out of it. Correct. Uh, right. um, you can't you can't really judge the. I don't think they'll use the RPI much this year. You have to no. take it with a grain of salt. I was looking at the baseball RPI this past week and like, forget who. Maybe who was in the top ten? There was somebody in the top ten. Villanova was in the top ten, and but Villanova had only played like twelve games, hmm. right? Right. So not everybody's played a full schedule this year. So it's gonna be it's gonna be like like they're gonna use it. They'll look at it, but they're not gonna like they would not say oh Villanova's a higher seed than Virginia Tech just because Villanova's in the top Correct. ten in the RPI. Yeah. They're 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 going to look and say, oh, Virginia Tech, they've beat seven ranked teams, which is the second most of any team in the country. Yes, R- that, right, that right. stat came out this and, past and, weekend. And, and, it's, and it's, retweeted the tweet. Did you see that? And, 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 and it's, it's going to be the same for softball. 
Yes. Um, just the, so I, I think they've got a chance to be a really high seed because of uh, their their pure number of quality wins. All right, let's transition to some fun questions. Jeff Holland, you are the man coming back with some fun comments. I'll save that for the end. I teased it earlier in the show when we were talking about basketball, but I want to go back to Ronnie Adams' question, and I want to be quick about this. Do you think Virginia Tech should amend the requirements to get a banner in Lane or Castle? The national award is just too strict, in his opinion, especially in basketball. J-Rob and Malcolm should be up there in Castle. Uh, Thoughts on that statement? Let's see. Well, Castle Coliseum. What national awards did uh, Del Curry win? I don't know that he won any. He was an all. He was an, an all American, right? Um, oh, okay, okay. So okay. like first or second team okay. APL American. I think it's been implemented yeah. after the. Oh, well, it definitely was. I remember when it was implemented. I don't remember. The well, year it, it, it it came after the whole uh, Tech was Al, Alan Bristow Ace Custis thing. Right, right. Well, and the fact of the matter is, Virginia Tech was putting a new number up in the north end zone of Lane Stadium every year. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to do something about it. Right. But but, I mean, I, I just think they're. Uh, National awards is pure guesswork, right? Uh, it's down to the so it's down to the luck of the draw. You know, let's say let's say Justin Robinson played his entire senior season, and maybe as a finalist to the final four, as a finalist for the Bob Cousy Award or something like that. And I don't know what committee does that or what people decide, but basically it's at their <laughs> it's you're at their mercy. Um, now maybe Justin Robinson would have deserved it. Maybe he wouldn't have. I don't know, but like, I I don't think you should leave it into the hands of some committee that that doesn't know anything about Virginia Tech on whether Justin Robinson deserves to be in the Virginia uh, have his jersey retired. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> the impact he had on Virginia Tech basketball. Um, I and, and like I said, it's not just for. For, for Justin, it's, it's it's kind of for that whole era, right? Have all those guys back for an event at Castle one night. Um, you know, have him back, have Ahmed Hill back, you know, all the members of those team back. And, and that, that's, that's their night. You know, you, kinda, you can kind of celebrate what they did. But, you know, Justin Robinson is the all-time leader in assists at Virginia Tech. And he would have blown it out of the water. Right, if, if, if he, he hadn't missed so many hurt. games. I mean, he would have absolutely blown it out of the water. Um, so, and I think that's a big deal to be the to to be the all time leader at your school in a major statistical category so, like that. So, but no, I think you have to be smart about it. You can't just put anybody up there, and 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 it can't just be one or two people making the decision. Okay, right? so yeah, so here's what I think. Um, and and right off the top of my head, not having given this a whole lot of thought. Um, the very last thing Chris said, I I think, and, and I, this was 25 years ago, but I think that the decision to retire Ace Custis's jersey was, I mean, whoop-de-doo, Virginia Tech had won the NIT. They liked Bill Foster. They wanted to give Bill a kind of a going-away present. Hey, we'll, we'll hang, you know, and we'll hang Ace's jersey. And so... I think the decision was made to hang Alan Bristow's right after that because some people complained and said, whoa, he's a more accomplished player than, than Ace. What are you doing hanging Aces? And you didn't hang, hang. – anybody who remembers that whole discussion, jump in in mm-hmm. the discussion and correct me. 
But I think that probably arose from the fact that just a few people behind closed doors were making a decision. Right. Um, and maybe you need to appoint some sort of a, everybody hates the word committee, hmm. but maybe you need to have a decision-making body that people wrote into. Honestly, wrote we into. should be on the committee. <clears throat> no, like I'm serious. Us. We could add just as much perspective to it. You know, that, that people rotate <laughs> yeah. into and out of. And it, part of what complicates this discussion is that you used to retire the number like nobody can wear that number again. Now it's just the jersey. Right? Now it's just the jersey because if you think about it, well, if you for play football, if yeah, you, you're running out of numbers. Sure, if you play sports for 150 years and you retire a bunch of numbers, there aren't going to be enough numbers. So, <laughs> so um, then you think of a guy like, and I'm just kind of rambling right now. Eric Green led the country in scoring. Mm -hmm. You know, did Eric win any national um, um, awards? No, but he led the country in scoring. That's pretty impressive. Right. Right. We don't that, have, well. That's also a one-year accomplishment. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so so I, I guess part of what I'm babbling about is maybe just kind of broaden. You know, let's commemorate people as opposed to retiring their numbers or retiring their jerseys, mm. which creates all these arguments. If anybody walks into Castle Coliseum, they should see an Eric Green banner hanging there. Right, Country, right. Country's Something. leading score. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. first-team All-American ought to get a little banner hung. You know. Um, I don't know about what you want to do about ACC well, awards. You well, know? well, when they when they remodel Castle and those concourses are Think bigger, I fully expect to walk around and see stuff on the wall, like, like you're saying. You go to like, like here's here's a section of the wall of the concourse that honors Eric Green's career and it, what he that, accomplished. Yeah, and you and you, you go to football stadiums all the time and see their ring of honor where they've just got names up there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some random Miami Dolphin. Bob Greasy's name is probably up in the Dolphin Stadium. That doesn't mean nobody can wear number 12 again or we've retired right. his jersey. Right. You know, we right. just we won a couple Super Bowls with that guy playing quarterback for us. Ronnie, I, I just want to point this out real quick. So as somebody who grew up going to Virginia Tech games and understands the, for some part of it, the history of Virginia Tech athletics and the legends, like – Take mm -hmm. Malcolm and I, for instance, right? So we're about to graduate college. We're 21, 22 years old. And since I've been, I can remember Virginia Tech sporting events, not one player has had their jersey or like the next era has been commemorated Correct. in any way. Like, even again, like, so for me, uh, uh, like, again, the first football player I can remember is Sean Glennon. Like, that is me in, in 2007 on. And that goes for football or basketball. So I think for the younger generation, I think it would be really cool as like Malcolm and I will graduate as Virginia Tech will have made the NCAA tournament every year we were in school that there was a tournament. So I think yeah. like for the younger generation to have that player say, hey, I was in school when Justin Robinson was here. Absolutely. And I and, yeah. th and that could come with time. Right? I'm not saying that right. should be now. But even like, a, what about Danny Cole? What about Tyrod's jersey? When is that? You know, eventually the, that should be in Lane Stadium, the, the, right? There, there's momentum in the basketball program right now. Capitalize on it. Um, and you can create more momentum with the student body by doing something like that. Um, there's a lot of factors into it. I mean, besides the fact I've, I've already mentioned everything before that I think Justin Robinson is fully deserving of it, but that, those, that's just like icing on the cake. Um, the other thing I would do is I've said this time and time again, and, and you know, why is Jim Cavanaugh not in the Virginia Tech Sports Hall of Fame? It's, it almost seems like, oh, we, you can only put head coaches or coordinators or players in there. And the reality is there's been no more important besides like Frank Beamer, 
He was the third most important person in building that program, yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, absolutely. Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, and Jim, Jim Cavanaugh. Cavanaugh. Like, there was a tripod. If you kick out one of those legs, then I'm not... Well, you saw what happened to recruiting after they kicked the Jim Cavanaugh leg, leg off. <laughs> uh, I mean, so... Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. true. I mean, so Cav, to me, is a first ballot. Yeah. First ballot. Um, really great discussion. Yeah. I, and I'll... I'll um, finish this point with uh, chip who points out that the carrier dome in Syracuse does an awesome job of highlighting their past heroes. As you walk around the concourse, it would be great to have something like that around castle yeah. and I'll add even lane stadium, you know, like when you're walking through the Merriman center and you see all the former players, like wouldn't that be cool if you've got Brian Randall, you know, Danny Cole, Jared boy, you know, so um, anyways, cool to think about. All right, let's uh, I want to ask this question uh, from Trey who asks, um, are we the North Carolina state of the ACC Coastal? Unrealistic expectations from fan base, and as he puts, a president that doesn't care about athletics, in his words. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree with all that, but I want to get your thoughts on that. We've actually heard Sands is, is extremely supportive of football, and we're about to find out exactly how supportive on April 20th. April 20th. When there's a major announcement coming, and that's all we'll say right now. But we've we've heard a, we've heard nothing but good things about Sands as far as his willingness to support the program. Now, um, is he a guy who gets in and, and, and actively tinkers? No. Like, I believe the decision to get rid of Will Muschamp was actually made by, by South Carolina's right. president, right, right. Bob Caslin. I think I think uh, President Caslin was the final we need to get. And that's unusual, and I'm not sure you actually want that at a place like Virginia Tech. Yeah, right. But it's yeah. not like, you know, there, there's this, this, this narrative that Tim Sands hates football, you know, and, and I don't buy that. I don't think that's true. Or that that's he a, doesn't care about athletics. Every, everything I've heard is, is, is not, is that, that's not true at all. Yeah, um, just, everything, everything Whit Babcock has ever asked for, he's gotten, from what I understand. And and has even been offered some things that he did not take advantage of. Correct. So, uh, yeah, I, I I think that's a that's a false narrative by the Virginia Tech fan base that Sands is doesn't like football. Is, is anti sports or yeah. anti? Yeah, that, that's when, uh... that's something that a few people start saying, and then they keep saying it, and eventually the rest of the fan base picks up on it, and there's actually no basis of fact for it at all. Yeah. I think it's incredible to me that as a student, right, and how you know how much. Um, what was what? I'm sorry. What was the other part of his question? The, are we the NC State of the are coastal, and that we have expectations. unrealistic expectations? It's, for the fan well, base? no, NC State could be better than than they are, but simply because of where they're located. I mean, look at. I mean, they don't. They barely have to leave an hour radius of their school to recruit. There's so much. I mean, the population of Raleigh over the last 20 years has doubled. I mean, they're in one of those areas where there, there's more recruits available to them year by year just because of the population increase in, in, in their part of the country. And they um, have excellent facilities. I think that there's a tremendous amount of potential in that program. Uh, I Yeah, uh, and I don't, I don't know anything about their funding or their school president or, or anything like that. But uh, just from a pure ceiling standpoint, I think the fan bases are similar in terms of how much money they throw into it, uh, except NC State is closer to recruiting. I mean, you could make an argument, a strong argument, that they have a higher ceiling as a program than Virginia Tech simply because of demographics. Yeah. Uh, and, Virginia Tech has to travel so far to to find quality football players because there's hardly any within unless it's Western rooms. Western North Carolina. Right. Right. Um, uh, so, so I, I would say. I'll answer it this way, Evan. If you're a Virginia Tech fan and you expect Virginia Tech football, 
Let's talk football. You expect Virginia Tech football to be ranked annually in the top 10. Uh, there was a stretch there where they were in the top five, something like seven out of eight years. At various points. And yeah. to compete for and to, and to be in the conversation for a national championship, if that's your expectation year in, year out, you probably need to dial it down. <laughs> yeah, now, that said, and, and I'm, I'm on record as saying this also, Virginia Tech football should be doing better than they are. I'm not saying they should be a top five or top ten team on an annual basis, but they certainly should not be missing bowl games. Uh, yes, I said it. Right. Five and six and not going to a bowl game, that shouldn't happen. Right. I think I think there, there are two differences. Like, I think NC State, you know, they have a recruiting advantage because of their location. Uh, they could certainly have a NIL advantage because of all the b- businesses just in Raleigh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and there's just not that many around here. Yeah. Uh, they could potentially have an NIL advantage over Virginia Tech. North Carolina also Oof. could have a huge one yeah. over Virginia Tech just because of stuff Jordan like that, brand. demographics and, and everything. Um, now, where Virginia Tech has the advantage is is they're not in the same division with Clemson or Florida State. I know Florida State's down right now, but if – in the right situation, Florida State is Florida State. It's right, exactly. Uh, so that so less competition for the Hokies because there's no Clemson or Florida State in their division. But but I, I think I think I think NC State could be leveraged from a monetary standpoint better than it is because of their location. That's just my opinion from the outside looking. And in. I don't know right. enough about their fan base well enough to really make that uh, comment. But anyways, I think it's a great discussion. I'll just say this as a student: I think it's really unique to see president Sands and his wife at like every basketball game. Like they are always there just sitting in the middle of the crowd. They they, oh, he, go, he, he definitely goes to every basketball, every basketball game. And, he, and he tweets time. a lot about wrestling and women's right. basketball, men's basketball. And I actually find him to be an incredibly supportive figure when it comes to athletics. And he, I actually, I was, uh, I was uh, driving around campus the other day and he and his wife were just walking at like four forty-five on a weekday just around. They do it often. I've seen I would, it many I would say times. this way when it comes to athletics, he doesn't meddle. He supports. Yes. Right. When Whit Babcox asked asked him for a cheap loan from the university to build a new baseball stadium and everything like that, he gave it to him. Yeah. Like the cheapest interest rate you could possibly get, basically. Uh whenever Whit's asked for something, he's he's delivered. Yeah. And like and like we said, there's gonna be some sort of announcement coming on, on April twentieth, unless mm. unless it, something happens and it gets pushed back. We are Eight days, Eight days away, away. so it's it. going to be next Tuesday, and it'll be about you know re- some reorganization of funding and and some additional donors and things like that, geared primarily towards the football program. I don't know exactly support. how I don't know exactly how things are going to mm-hmm. be structured and presented, but it's it's a big deal and it's coming soon. All right, let's close the podcast today with Jeff Holland. Okay, just gotta love Jeff. So earlier we were talking about how football players fight. I guess is how mm-hmm. that kind of right. came up, right? And he said that. Uh, um, all caps, if you missed it from earlier, I lost the comment, but he said, uh, I used to fight. Used to I fight fought every, all the time in practice. Day. So here we go. I asked him, we asked which ones. He said, Pine, oh. Jared Hamlin, Chris Holt. Never fought William Boatwright or Eugene Chung because I'm not that stupid in all caps with a <laughs> smiley face. Also fought Bill Moss a lot. I would have loved to fight coach Steve Marshall, VTO line oh, coach for my first two years, if that was allowed. <laughs> Never liked that coach. Lost count of how many times he called me a punk freshman. <laughs> and I fought Will a lot of scout team 
offensive line. Uh, so he's picking on the little guys, huh? I see. So a lot of smiley so, faces. So the fact that he would fight Jim Pine, that, that's the one that stands out His jersey's me. up in Lane State. It is. Right? Yeah, well, Chung, his numbers, actually. Chung knew martial arts, so I wouldn't mess with him. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's actually – we've got the Virginia Tech image archive yeah. saved a lot of it. And there's actually a picture of – of Eugene Chong doing karate. Yeah, he's got there. like the whole belt on and he's yeah. kicking. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, great comments from Jeff. And you know what? Maybe we'll have to tease it. Uh, the podcast whenever he was on two years ago. Uh, oh it's still worth going back. And William Boatwright, the other guy he mentioned, still holds a Virginia Tech squat record of seven pounds. Oh, that's pounds. right. Yeah. It's Boat, amazing. Boatwright's name is Insane. on the wall. Insanely 700 strong. pounds. Yeah. Again, that's the best comment too because I'm not all caps that stupid with a smiley <laughs> face. So anyways, thanks for chiming in, Jeff. Thanks to everybody for the terrific questions today. Another great show. And next week we'll kind of continue the same topics. We'll uh, recap what uh, Virginia tech series and baseball against Georgia tech as well as softball, but we'll primarily spend the majority of our time previewing what will be linebackers and DBs as we gear towards the 2021 Virginia tech football season. Chris Coleman, what's coming up on TSL this week. Oh, got a Brandon Patterson article coming today, I believe, that I've got, I've got to sit down and edit and format. Um, gosh, I forget where I am in my spring practice articles. I think I wrote defensive line. No, I wrote linebackers and defensive line last week, so I should be on the DBs right, right. this week. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't know. Good stuff. I'm not, I don't know either. I've got to check my <laughs> day planner in the other room. See, I have to go back and answer all those emails from potential sponsors, so I'll be spending all week doing that. Uh, you know what? I, and I, I'm so glad I just went to check Twitter right now because I bring great news to end the podcast. Report from 247 Sports. The NCAA recruiting dead period will end June 1st. Well, uh, I think we've, we've kind of known that was coming because all the Virginia Tech assistant coaches or recruiting staff members – have been retweeting random recruits saying official visit dialed in to Virginia Tech. All, all in yeah, the month yeah, of June. All, right? Yeah, all set up for the month of June. So they've <clears> been <throat> expecting this to happen, which that's another piece of content I need to do. I need to accumulate that information and put it in article format to show when some of these guys are visiting. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't really particularly like following recruiting. I like following recruiting from a macro standpoint, not a micro standpoint, but the fact that guys can take visits again yeah. yeah, it'll yeah. be fun to cover this in this, person again. Well, well, yeah, um, it'll be fun to talk about just this once, simply because it hasn't it hasn't uh, happened in so long. All right, y'all. Well, that'll wrap things up. Episode one hundred and seventy-five of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Uh, any closing thoughts, gentlemen, before we sign off? I think we've said it in an hour and 50 minutes i don't think i got anything left. <laughs> will's on twitter at will stewart tsl chris is on twitter at chris coleman tsl we're on twitter at tech sideline that'll wrap things up we hope you join us next week for our managing editor chris coleman our founder and general manager will stewart who says please like and subscribe before we sign off for the best podcast producer in the land will stewart uh, malcolm stewart i'm your podcast host evan hughes thanks so long thanks so much for watching and listening episode 175 of the tech sideline podcast presented by anytime fitness southeast regional training center and anytime fitness have a great week Cokies, and we'll talk to you next monday